In the name of the Father, and the Son, and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. This morning, uh, we're beginning a new series in which I want to invite you to think with me about your walk with God. Uh, in case you hadn't noticed, walking is sort of a major theme of the fall. Uh, a number of you taking part in our walk to Bethlehem. Um, for six weeks, we're walking individually and as families, um, in part to just stay healthy during COVID, but we're also walking with Jesus through the pages of the New Testament. Um, a number of you have been involved in our first ever virtual crop walk. We walk because they walk. That's what we say at Church World Service, because so many people around the world have to walk long distances to get food and uh, for children to go to school or to find clean water. So for these few weeks, I want you to think with me about the ingredients, the components that make up a spiritual journey, uh, our walk with God. This whole image of walking with God, I think it's just a wonderful metaphor for the spiritual life. And of course, it runs throughout the scriptures. So at the very beginning of Genesis, you remember God is pictured as walking through the garden. He's searching for his children who are hiding from him. Later in Genesis, uh, Abraham and Sarah, they pick up all of their belongings and they walk with God to the promised land, as do Moses and the Hebrews hundreds of years later. The psalmist cries, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And of course, the prophet Micah famously called us to walk humbly with our God. The image gets picked up again in the New Testament. Jesus calls followers to come alongside of him. Follow in the Greek, akalutheo means literally to walk with someone down the road. So we're thinking about walking. Some of you know that uh, over the last few weeks, uh, Kathy and I became grandparents, very proud of that. So I have been interviewing people about grandparenting, uh, your experiences of being a grandparent. And um, I've been trying to take a little bit of advice. One particular person said that when his daughter was young, um, they used to go for walks and she would hold his hand. Now he has a granddaughter who holds his hand while they go for walks. And um, he says that in that walk and holding her little hand, he finds uh, an image of his relationship with God. He talks about how um, it's as though God is reaching down God's hand to him and inviting him to take God's hand. Um, maybe that's why Thomas Dorsey wrote that famous gospel hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Um, so we're thinking about walking with God through life. And we want to focus on some of the important components of that. And today we begin, as you'll be able to see here in a little while uh, from the screen, we begin with worship. Adam Hamilton, whose books we have been using in our adult studies for years, Adam is not just a Methodist minister, he is also a grandpa. And uh, 
he and his wife have a five-year-old granddaughter named Stella. And for her fifth birthday, they decided that they wanted to give her a swing set. Not, in cor- of course, until after they had asked her parents. See, I am learning slowly uh, as we go along here some of the etiquette. Um, so they shopped and they shopped, and finally they found one. It had two swings, and it had some steps that led up to a tower. And from the tower, there was a slide that came down, and there was a picnic table underneath. When five-year-old Stella saw the swing set, um, Adam says she let out a squeal of delight. She ran up to them and shouted, Thank you, Mimi. Thank you, Papa. Uh, She threw her arms around their neck and said, I love you. He says they pushed her on the swings. They slid down the slide with her. As he was reimagining that first scene, Adam said, could it be that just as we gave Stella this swing set as an expression of our love, and in the hope that she would enjoy all kinds of adventures on it, could it be that God gave us this amazing world, again, out of an expression of God's love, with the hope that it would bring us joy? And how do you respond to that kind of gift? Stella's response, I think, points to the most basic practice of the spiritual life. We say, thank you. We say, I love you. It would be, of course, very easy for me to stand up and say, you should worship. You should. (laughs) You should. (laughs) But it would be more accurate, I think, for me to say, you and I, we need to worship. The Catholic writer Evelyn Underhill puts it this way. She says, worship in all of its grades and kinds is the primary and most appropriate response of the creature to the creator. She goes on to add, nor need we limit this definition to the human sphere. We could think of the whole universe, seen and unseen, conscious and unconscious, as an act of worship. I love that. So when we, um, when we see the plants growing, um, that displays God's glory. When we hear birds singing outside of our window in the morning, when I walk through Huntington Woods around the back of the zoo and I hear a lion roar, glory. When the maple trees turn yellow and orange and red all at the very same time, when the snow blankets uh, the grass, when the daffodils um, bloom in the spring, glory. On a clear night, you go out and you see the stars and the moon. The psalmist is right. The heavens are telling the glory of God. Now, birds can't help but sing. Stars can't help but shine. But you and I, human beings, each of us unique, We have a choice. We decide whether we will give thanks, whether we will offer praise, whether we will seek to glorify God in our lives. But I would maintain there is something in me that
needs to worship, just as a bird needs to sing. So the modern English word worship actually comes from an ancient uh, English word, worthship. It declares that something is worthy of my honor. In the beginning of his letter to the Romans, the apostle Paul makes this remarkable statement. Um, after what is considered a fairly notorious inventory of the world's moral chaos, he talks about envy and deceit and gossip and idolatry. Who knew that um, Paul had a, a crystal ball that would allow him to see the, the days leading up to the presidential election, but apparently he did. Um, and after all that, Paul asks now, why all of this bad behavior? Why? Because people don't know what is right? Because people have developed kind of a Las Vegas approach to life, you know, uh, what happens here stays here? I suppose any of those would be contributing factors, both in Paul's day and our day, but he doesn't mention any of those. Instead, what Paul says is this, he says, people gave glory to the world. More specifically, he says they gave doxa, glory, to creatures. Doxology that should rightfully, rightfully have been sung only to the creator. In other words, bad worship leads to bad behavior. Now, there's another word that gets used for worship in the old days. Today, we refer to it as a drug. It was called ecstasy. It literally means to stand outside of ourselves. In the Greek, ecstasias. I think it's one of the hardest things for we modern people to understand because, of, of course, since birth, we have been encouraged to get more and more into ourselves. We are to become self-focused, self-made, self-actualized. No, says Paul, it's actually not all about me. The purpose of worship is to get me outside of myself, to get ecstatic. No ecstasy, Paul would say. No ecstasy, no ethics. So the sense of having your life caught up in something that is bigger than yourself. Worship is my regular reminder. It's not all about me. It's not all up to me. Wonderful old Quaker hymn. You probably are familiar with it. My life flows on in endless song above earth's lamentation. I hear the real, though far off, hymn that sings a new creation. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that rock I'm clinging. Since love is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? What is the chief end of man? The Westminster Catechism that some of you were raised on asks. What is the chief end of humanity, we would ask today? And the answer? To glorify God and enjoy God forever. Our lives are meant to be a living hallelujah. And that worship really has two parts. There's the worship that we do together as a people, and then there is the worship that I do 
individually as, as a person. So in, in the passage that Bob read to us this morning from the Psalms, the psalmist writes, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the, we are the people of his pasture. In other words, the, the spiritual journey is inherently communal. That gets picked up in the New Testament too. The book of Acts is the story of the early church. It tells us in Acts 4 what those early Christians did. It says they sang spiritual songs together. They broke bread together. They confessed to one another. They reflected on the scriptures together. They encouraged one another. They collected an offering to help others. In other words, the spiritual journey is never just private. That's why our adult ed study this fall is called Companions on the Journey. And worship wasn't something that they just attended. It wasn't something that they just zoomed in on. It was something that they did. They didn't gather to be entertained, but rather to respond to God's love and God's grace with gratitude and praise. Because there is just something about singing and praying together. There is something about listening and connecting with one another in worship that our souls desperately need. And that is what we are missing during COVID. That is why this is so difficult and why we long to get back with all of us gathered in the sanctuary. So I think of worship sort of like this. My cell phone keeps a charge for about 10 hours, which is about five hours longer than I do these days. Um, every night I have to recharge my cell phone, or the next day it is worthless. It is just a very expensive, easily dropped or lost paperweight. And that is about as good as I am when I get out of the habit of worshiping. Now, the truth is, um, many Christians today worship less frequently than they used to. That is as true here at Greenfield as it is anywhere else. It used to be that active church members worshiped three, maybe four Sundays out of the month. Today, that number is two, maybe three. Why is that? You know this as well as I do. If you have children, there are more activities, not only on Sunday morning, but in general. Maybe not during COVID, but that's the way it normally is. For we empty nesters, it's travel on the weekends, or yes, going to visit the grandchildren, um, or other places that we want to enjoy with this newfound freedom. It's our time now. I don't know how many times I've heard that. Or just the busyness of life. You know what? Life is busier than when I was a kid. It is more complicated. You know. I'm very happy that we have figured out how to live stream during COVID. Maybe that's one of the silver linings. I bet the church will never get away from doing this. But there is one thing live, on, 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 live streaming um, online worship cannot give you. And that is a community of people to worship with. It's like the old advertisement. Good music? Check. Intriguing message? Check. Lovely banners? Check. A community like this, priceless. 
So one aspect of worship is the us, the our, the one another. The other piece, however, is what happens in between those times. Um, in my personal Sabbath, prayer or meditation. So the psalmist sings, oh, come let us, us bow down to worship. But the psalmist also reminds us, the Lord is my shepherd. So for people who have never prayed before, or for people who are trying to find their way back into prayer, I always suggest that you start with two words. Thank you. Thank you. Because in giving thanks, we are reminded that life is a gift. It is not a right. A lot of people in our society worried about their rights these days. Your life is not your right. It was a gift from God, just like the air that you are breathing in at this very moment. The reality is, by nature, I think most of us um, are more complainers than we are thankful givers. Um, I'm not sure if that gets worse as you get older. It is certainly the case that I know quite a few grumpy old men, um, not to mention any names at this point. Maybe some people just have trouble um, giving thanks for their blessings. Um, maybe people think that giving thanks is like a chore. Did your mother, like mine, make you write thank you notes? I don't think that ever came naturally. I don't, it still doesn't come naturally to me. But expressing thanks is not just appropriate. It's not just the right thing to do. It turns out it is actually good for our health emotionally and physically. Brother David Stendhal Rest is a Benedictine monk. He says this, he says, it's not happiness that makes us grateful. It's gratefulness that makes us happy. Similarly, Dr. Murali Doswani from Duke University's medical school says this, if gratitude were a drug, it would be the world's best-selling product with a health maintenance indicator for every major organ system. This guy is not a theologian. He's not a preacher. He's a physician, for heaven's sake. He's a clinical researcher. There was a study conducted jointly by the University of California, San Diego, and the University of Stirling in Scotland. It followed 186 patients, all of whom were suffering with some kind of heart failure. Over a course of eight weeks, half of the group was asked to keep a gratitude journal. The other half was not asked to do that. The researchers concluded that those who kept the journal were less depressed, they slept better, and they had improved health-related markers. The author of the study, Paul Mills, concluded, it seems that a more grateful heart is indeed a more healthy heart, which, of course, the Apostle Paul understood hundreds of years ago. He wrote to the church at Thessalonica, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Which brings us back to Stella and her uh, wonderful first, fifth birthday party. 
aunts and uncles and cousins all watched her ceremoniously as she opened her presents. After each gift she opened, she would go to that person, she would give them a hug. At the end of the evening, she wanted to say something to everyone. She stood up and she said, thank you everyone for my birthday. Now Adam says, in all honesty, in the excitement of opening her gifts, Stella sometimes needed a reminder from her mother to say thank you to the givers. Her mother would say, now Stella, what do you say? And Stella would say, thank you. Sometimes, especially in difficult times, uh, we need reminders. We need somebody to give us a nudge and uh, remind us, what do you say for all the blessings God has given you in your life? For the sun shining, for the joy of being. What do you say for a community like this that you miss or get to share with? What do you say, Stella? What do you say? Amen.